Hello again, everyone. This is Joyce Davis, Pen Live's opinion editor, coming to you with another Battleground PA podcast. We do invite you to join us, and you can check us out at Twitter and at Facebook at battlegroundpa.org, or you can send your ideas to topics at battlegroundpa. But here's the thing. Today, we have so much to talk about because there's so much happening at the national level as well as at the local level. And of course, it's all involving the coronavirus and its impact on government and politics. So stay tuned. I'll be right back with our trusted pundits, Rajat Harris and Jeffrey Lord. This is Battleground PA, a pen live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Okay, hello, Jeffrey Lord, trusted Republican pundit, and Rajette Harris, representing the Democrats. How are you both doing today? Great. How are you? We are great. I'm glad to hear everybody is still safe and still healthy. And so while we just get right into it, there really is so much to talk about. One of the first things that's on everybody's mind, of course, is the reopening. Are we going to begin re Well, we've got 40 states, apparently, from last count, that are having some form of reopening. And that's one thing. But the other thing is, I guess I'm a bit concerned that the president has decided he is going to stop the daily briefings and perhaps disband the special task force on the coronavirus. Do you want to shed any insight on that, Jeffrey, going forward? Yeah, I I don't know what they're going to do. My friend and old pal, Kaylee McEnany, is now the White House press secretary, and and it'll be interesting to see what the conclusion they come to. But I must say, I do have some sort of amusement here, because as I recall recent history, when Sarah Sanders was the press secretary, and after she left and they stopped doing the briefings, there was all this, woe befall us because we've stopped the briefings. And then they picked up again, and the president himself was doing them and being done every day. And then you had all these people saying, oh, no, no, we shouldn't carry them. They should stop. He shouldn't be doing this. And now it's being floated that maybe they will stop him. And now, oh, no, no, you can't stop. You have to keep doing it. So I do think, you know, this is this gets to be something of a game with the White House press corps and the media in general here. I don't know that we need to do them every single day, but I do think that they're informative for sure. Well, again, it, to me, it's not just the briefings. That's one thing. I like briefings. I'm a media person. I want, to, But it's the very fact that no one will be focused on this. Or I mean, it, does that cause it, you any concern, Rajat, that we're thinking of actually disbanding this special task force? Or do you think it wasn't helpful anyway? I don't know. I don't think the task force should be disbanded because, again, this is a virus that's going to be around for a very long time. It would be good to have a task force continuing to work on it, especially as the economy starts to reopen in the months to come. As far as the press conferences are concerned, I personally don't know if they were helpful because Trump talked a little too much, in my opinion, and didn't give enough facts. It's Mm -hmm. sort of a double-edged sword in that sense. You've got all of these science and medical people, one way or another, whether they're standing in front of television cameras or not, they're going to be informing the White House and the president of what's going on with this. I mean, this is not going away anytime soon. Well, that's the hope that just because he perhaps is disbanding the task force that the vice president was put in charge of, we're still going to have at least the scientists and the doctors 
actually focusing on this behind the scenes. But, you know, that brings me to another question, Jeffrey, uh, that is causing a little bit of angst, I think, in some people. Dr. Bright, who was head vaccine director, apparently, been pushed aside and is saying it's because he refused to go along with promoting hydroxychloroquine as a treatment for COVID-19. I mean, aren't you a bit concerned about the mixture of politics and pressuring our doctors, these highly respected doctors, to go against their own better judgment? I mean, well, that's first what- of all, I don't know that he was all that highly respected, at least as I'm understanding from news reports. Long before this happened, there was discussions that he was not doing his job very well and was going to be relieved. I mean, long before this situation itself arose. Not to mention that there are emails out there where he is appraising the drug and all this kind of thing. But this gets to the deeper question. This is the medical version of the same question we have with these people in the FBI that are being investigated. And I've seen it firsthand having worked in government, in the federal government. No one elected Dr. Bright to anything. The president, and I don't care who the president is, but the president, the elected official, the governor of Pennsylvania, etc., These are the people who have been elected by the people of Pennsylvania or the American people to be in charge. Nobody elected Dr. Bright. And this notion that, well, because he's so-and-so or he's got a view on this, that, or the other thing, that therefore he doesn't have to obey the sort of rules and regulations that come with it. He's got some sort of extra authority here because he's a doctor. It's just crazy. Let's bring in Rajat. I'm just a little bit concerned. I mean, you have these people because they do have expertise. President Trump is not a doctor, and he does not have the kind of expertise. And I, I don't know. Rajat, how do you feel about uh, this guy saying he was pressured into trying to promote something he didn't think was scientifically valid? I think this is typical Trump behavior. He doesn't like what he's hearing. He doesn't have a yes person, so he gets rid of them. We've seen this throughout the past three and a half years of his presidency. Of course, it's wrong. And Jeffrey is correct in the sense that he has the right to appoint who he wants. But again, to me, it shows something deeper, a deeper flaw that he has. That Instead of listening and taking information in, it's my way or the highway. And that's what's so concerning to me, especially when we have such an infectious virus. I also think it's interesting if you look a little bit at the complaint that the doctor filed, is that Jared Kushner was trying to put some of these funds into one of the drug companies that, you know, is associated with him as far as developing a vaccine for this drug. So I also see some, you know, some personal benefits to getting rid of the doctor as well. So it'll be interesting as the investigation continues what unfolds as to the real reason why Trump got rid of him. Well, from what I can see here, he's really pointing the finger, it seems, at Alex Azar, the director of health and human services, as as being one of the most uh, difficult people for him to have to deal with. Again, I don't know. Azar is not really in the president's good graces right about now. Is that right, Jeffrey? Haven't we heard some things that he hasn't been uh, pleased with Azar? There have been those stories out there, which I think the White House has denied. So I don't know. There's always this kind of thing. But I must say, it really does get to me. You know, I personally, myself, got a letter after the 1992 election when I was working at HUD for Jack Kemp, telling me that I had to be out by noon on January 20th. In other words, the Clinton administration didn't want me. They're well within their rights to do this. They are within their rights to do it, but I would not, I would have had the same feeling if they had been pressuring you to do something you thought was wrong. 
I still would be speaking up on your behalf. My point is that the something, quote unquote, wrong is deeply subjective. I mean, what you've got here is a bureaucrat with position A, and you've got you've got his superiors with position Z. And he says, well, if you're not doing it my way, it's wrong. Well, that's not so. Well, I don't know. But it's about the motivation, though. It's always about the motivation as to why someone does what they do. And it seems like the motivation for getting rid of this doctor is, again, because he wasn't a yes man and was just going along with what Trump wanted to do. And this is, again, a continuous flaw that we see in this president, that if you don't think or at least are willing to do everything he wants to a T, he just gets rid of you. So I'm looking at this from a broader point. And that's, in my opinion, that's what's wrong with this. It's a motivation behind it. For me, it's not only just the motivation, it's just the fact. We have scientists, we have doctors, and we have people who we want to be completely aside from politics. We want them to really tell us, especially when lives are on the line. We don't want them to be pressured into offering medical guidance that is really based on their soundest, wisest judgment. That's where I come down. Whatever the motivation, it's the fact. You cannot get a doctor to say or recommend a treatment that he thinks is really not good and might hurt people. So that anyway. Right, but, 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 but all the doctors aren't even agreeing with each other. That's the point. He's getting right. doctors. He's going to get a doctor that goes with his point of view. I mean, as we know, medicine is not an exact science. You can find a doctor. And, and I was watching and I watch all three news stations. I'll go from Fox News to MSNBC to CNN. They each have an MD doctor and all three may be saying something completely different. That's why for me, so this is just my opinion. I'm focused on the motivation as to why Trump got rid of this particular doctor. And it's because he wasn't doing what he wanted him to do. And we can see this throughout his history as being president. Well, I honestly, I don't see it that way at all. I really do see a general consensus because I've had many doctors talking to me in the, that this recommendation to promote, especially without any kinds of uh, tests, clinical tests with relation to how hydroxychloroquine would react to the coronavirus, there's been general consensus from, from respected doctors that that was not a good treatment. But the real point is you had this guy in the position. He obviously was respected by Trump over the past three years. Suddenly, with all of this, he's not. I mean, we're going to cast this version. Well, that, but that's not, at least as I understand it, that's not the case. That Before this happened, there was concern that he wasn't doing his job correctly and he was going to be removed. In, and, in and the, then all of this surfaced. So why wouldn't he have gotten rid of him before if, if he didn't have someone? He had well, to... I think that was underway, at least as I understand it. There was a move to get him out before wow. this. Well, wow. it seemed to me if he wasn't competent, he should have been gotten out in February or January when they, or before that when we were there. Anyway, let's go to our That's next why I keep going back to motivation. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I'm not arguing with motivation. I am arguing that to me, it's, there's an even greater issue here that than motivation. You can be. <laughs> I just, I, you know, I don't want people messing with the science or the doctors, but we are at a point, I think, where we are dealing with some very, very tough issues. And I sent you guys an editorial that we penned in PenLive that honestly talked about personal freedom, privacy, and public health. And all of these are really dear to us. I think to each one, to you, to, to Jeffrey, to everybody, it's really dear this my personal freedom. I have a right not to do this, or I have a right to do that. Privacy of my medical. But now we're talking about all of this conflicting with public health. Have you guys given any thought to this? I mean, I, I raised a couple of what ifs in this. 
What if I say, sorry, I don't want to wear a mask and uh, you can't tell me what to do, Jeffrey? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I do think that you have to have a, a little bit of common sense and good judgment. And I think, frankly, the American people, people of Pennsylvania will go along with that. But I think at a certain point, we're edging into a situation where the concern has shifted a bit, where things are beginning to get under control. And you're telling people, as I think I said last week, why is it okay to wear a mask and go into a box store, a Target or a Home Depot or the grocery store, but you can't do that in a smaller store and you're going to have the mom and pop store shut their doors for some arbitrary reason? I mean, that's where this gets out of control. And I think that's why you're starting to get resistance. But Jeffrey, before we go into Rochette, I just want to really challenge one thing. I'm not sure from the numbers I'm seeing, especially these late things, that things are necessarily under control. We have the White House apparently predicting more than 134,000 Americans will die of COVID-19. That's, you know, it, the numbers actually keep going up. So, Rochette, I don't know, how do you feel about all of this, the conflicts here? Well, you know, the American people will decide when the economy opens. You know, every store, every restaurant, every theater, every park, everything can be open. But we all have a choice whether or not we go in or we or we don't go in. Um, obviously, to start, things are going to be different as far as wearing the mask. If I refuse to wear a mask into your establishment, you can refuse to let me into your establishment. Now, there are some establishments, take a restaurant. You can't wear a mask in a restaurant because you can't eat with a mask on. So, you know, common sense, there are certain type of businesses that can't reopen right now. But if you're a person in that high risk group, you know, it's the responsibility of more healthy people to wear a mask. But it's also your responsibility to, you know, not go into that establishment if you're in a high risk group as well. So, you know, we all all play a part in this moving forward. You do have the freedom not to leave your house. Exactly. But here's another question I hear. You do have the freedom not to leave your house. You do have the freedom to say that the question is, do I have the freedom to risk your health? So I don't wear a mask when I'm around and I'm sneezing on you. (laughs) And and I don't know if I have the virus or not. Hey, guy, you know, come on. But that's why I said you you shouldn't go. That's why I'm saying we each going to have to make that decision because the majority of people are going to, I personally feel the majority of people, because when I go into the grocery store, everyone has a mask on. But for argument's sake, say someone doesn't have a mask on, if I'm in that high risk group, I'm going to have to be mindful that there are going to be people who are going to rebel and not listen. So I may not be able to go. We're each going to have to make decisions based on our individual health. If it were that simple, that would really help us reopen. But the problem here is, and I think this is what the doctors are saying, let's say my son goes into that store because he's 25 years old. He's a young man. It's no problem with him. He gets sneezed on by someone with the coronavirus and he comes home. That is the problem. Tell him he can't come home again. <laughs> it spreads to the other people. But that's one thing. The other thing is privacy. Because here's the other thing the doctors want. They want to be able, if they determine you have it, right, to be able to to trace who you've come in contact with. So they want you to say, well, who were you with yesterday? And where did you go the day before yesterday? And a lot of people aren't going to want to get that information. How are we going to feel about not being able to trace? 
States have had these type of patient notification laws for years. We see this with a lot of different infectious diseases, most mostly your STDs, your HIV, AIDS, things of that nature. Now, granted, this is more contagious, yes, but we have had these type of laws on the books for years. So it's it's really nothing new. So and are again, we, saying, we have to depend, and you also have to depend on people being honest. I mean, I could okay. have the virus and say, oh, I haven't been out for a week. You right. know, we don't know if that's true or if it's not true. But this is I mean, once we get through the sort of contagion period here, I I mean, let's be honest, we we don't and and never have lived in a perfect world. There are always people in our midst who have what the flu or this, that or the other contagious disease or problem here. Once we get through the really heavy duty aspects of this situation and people, let's say we get to the point where we have a vaccine. Great. There could still be somebody out there. I mean, you don't shut down the whole society because of this. Right. And your point is well made about once we get to a vaccine, I think Bridget has brought it up before, and we all have, frankly, with testing. We need to have a, some reliable testing so we know who are the carriers, who are those people who are infected. But the other thing clearly is when we have some protection, when there is a vaccine, of course, things should open up. But you can see, I mean, I think you can see the fissures, the fault lines are developing between those who would lean more on the side of personal freedom and privacy and all of that to those who want to protect more public health and want to protect the most vulnerable. And I, I mean, I think it's going to be up to society and for our lawmakers to think through these things at, at all levels, right? I mean, well, and that's what our, our lawmakers are, are elected to do. They have to look at both sides. They have to look at the public health aspect of it, yes, but they also have to look at the economic aspect of it. And you bring up a vaccine. Not everyone is going to be able to take the vaccine as well. Is the government going to make someone take a vaccine that could personally harm them? I know people who have taken the flu shot that there's a rare side effect that can paralyze you. So they are now in a wheelchair because they took a flu shot first time in their life. Is it rare? Yes, but it can happen. So is the government going to chance someone's personal health? Because now we're talking about health, being in a wheelchair, being paralyzed for something that may or may not happen. So Five readers don't don't take that away and think that if you take a shot, you're going to get back. I mean, I I don't want to. No, give no, but but again, we all we need to know we need to know the risks. We need yeah. to know the risks. And this is a family member of mine, so I'm going to push back on this because this is very serious. Push back. I, this is a, I'm one yes. who believes that. So, so I, I I definitely am not telling people not to get it, but we need to know the benefits as well as the risks of what can happen to something when you take certain medications. That's the only point I'm making, and I'm using that's that as a, an example. That's a valid point, but it needs to be put in context. Most of our doctors are really urging people to take their vaccine. And, of course, you get counseled when you go there. But anyway, let's pause right here. We have to take a break, and when we come back, we'll pick up this conversation about these fault lines, and we'll also veer into talking about Joe Biden and the accusations that are still swirling against him. Stay tuned. Okay, we are back. And if you want to join this conversation, you can do so by emailing us with your ideas at topics at battlegroundpa.org or 
you can send us a tweet or check us out on Facebook at Battleground PA. So we were in the midst of talking about all of these issues that are cropping up here. And we clearly are in a transition phase right now in which people are talking about how we're going to get back to work. I will tell you, I um, have done several Facebook lives where people are now talking about it. And even though they come out and says, yes, it's time to get back, time to get back. The truth is, when you delve down a little bit, they don't want to pay any price to simply open without wisdom and without some common sense, as, as one of our readers said. Yes, let's have a plan to reopen, but let's make sure we're not risking too much. Are you guys in agreement with that? Well, yeah, I think I think most people are. But I, I do think that there's a, a bit of a divide here with people, a lot of people thinking that not reopening is doing real damage, economic damage, and, and ultimately, uh, you know, that can translate into physical damage, into health damage. You know, if you can't earn a living, if you can't afford to do this sort of day-by-day things of existence, your health is going to suffer. So I do think that there's a divide about this. Well, not only your health, you're not going to be able to sustain your life. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I think what people are asking for is that there be some thinking uh, aside. But the other point that I think it's it's worth that Rajad has made is that, look, I'm not going, <laughs> okay? I'm going to make my decision. If the store, every store could be open in, in, in the city or in the in the world, and if I don't want to go because I don't feel safe because I've heard, right. you know, that's going to be a problem. So it's going to be incumbent upon, I believe, our businesses also to reassure people that they're taking these extraordinary precautions for their health. I mean, am I right, Rajat? There's going to be some burden on business to also prove that they're responsible. Yes. And again, if if they want people to go into the establishment, they're going to have to, you know, make people feel safe. I mean, again, the American people will decide when the economy reopens. It's not going to be Trump. It's not going to be a governor. It's not going to be a doctor. It's going to it's going to be the American people. You can open up your business, but if I don't go in, you know, I'm I'm not making any sales. And again, some establishments, and I bring up a restaurant as a great example. You can't walk into, you can't eat at a restaurant with a mask on. You, it's just physically impossible unless they're going to create masks with a little a little pocket. There's a business idea, Rojak. I tell you, I've Shark Tank with that. But, you know, so (laughs) we're going to have to, some businesses unfortunately are going to wait. But I do think there are certain types of businesses that can reopen. And like here in Pennsylvania, the governor is reopening things very slowly. So we'll see how things go, see what happens, and then we can open up some more. So I think a gradual approach is best. I was just going to share that I've uh, spent a lot of time in the Middle East and where the women will cover. And basically, they have these long terms, but they will simply lift it and eat. <laughs> so, you know, lift, just lift the veil a little bit and they will eat that way. Maybe that's what we will get into doing. But anyway, let's move on to another topic here that we really have to take up. And that is we're still looking at what's going on with Joe Biden. And, you know, as I looked at this, there were kind of two developments, one in which it seems as if his accuser, Ms. Mead, has found a neighbor to say that, yes, she had confided in her at the time, but there doesn't seem to be anything, any records that she's able to produce. She didn't keep any records, nor is she able to clearly recall if she really used the term sexual harassment when she uh, filed any kind of complaint. 
any thoughts on, I mean, I look at this and I'm starting to say, what question marks are all over my, my mind? What What are you thinking, Jeffrey? Well, first of all, I have to ask the question, who is Joe Biden? <laughs> I <laughs> I mean, this this seems to be some guy who who communicates from his basement. I just find this both amazing and amusing all at once. As to Tara Reid, you know, this is exactly the kind of situation that we are now in where it's become a political issue. And I well recall the Clarence Thomas situation. And he quite clearly felt that he was targeted because he was both black and conservative. Well, then we get to Bill Clinton, and it was all all about sex, and people said, you know, there's no never mind. Then we get to Donald Trump, and I frankly said that on CNN, that this issue had sort of been decided, that the American people just thought, you know, rolled their eyes and no big deal. Well, then we get to Brett Kavanaugh, and now this is a big deal, and, and we've got to have an FBI investigation and all this. And now the New York Times is saying, well, maybe, just maybe the Democratic National Committee should investigate, uh, you know, which is, of course, stocked with Biden pals. I mean, this issue has become such a political football that I think it's it's been very damaging to the concept of sexual assault. And now, politically speaking, the Democrats have gotten themselves into this situation where they've got to look at this in some form or fashion, and it is going to be relevant. So what comes out of it? I mean, basically, it sounds to me that we're reduced to just as has been the case in a lot of these situations where it's, as the phrase goes, he said, she said. Biden says, no, I didn't do it. And she insists that he did. Now what? <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly right. Rochette, how are the Democrats feeling about this? Are you feeling any more confident in Biden or less? Well, as we all know, uh, the vice president did come out uh, last week and he came out and said that it was untrue. And he told the archives to open up the records to see if there was any type of personnel complaints. I find it interesting after he came out and said, sure, I'll show you my records. Now we're not sure exactly if a complaint was uh, filed. I've always been a firm believer that when any type of claim is made, it should be investigated, but no type of judgment or decision should be made until after the facts come out. Now, obviously this was, you know, almost 30 years ago. So it's a little bit harder to investigate. I find it sad when both parties politicize these type of issues, because as we all know, women are sexually assaulted every day. And it makes it harder for women who truly are to not only come forward, but to be believed, to be investigated and whatnot. So I hate when these high profile cases come out and they become so politicized that it hurts the everyday woman that actually is sexually assaulted. And that's what I find so sad about situations such as these. Well, I think you and Jeffrey are actually agreeing. I mean, you're agreeing that this kind of thing actually hurts the whole issue of trying to deal honestly and forthrightly with the issue of sexual harassment. And this hurts. It hurts when people come out there and, you know, and as we know, I mean, there's a long history of people coming out, frankly, especially against black men and alleging uh, rape and all of this kind of stuff. So you do need to, as you say, take it seriously, investigate it. But at the same time, there's got to be some sort of documentation or proof or, or, or something. Or as Jeffrey says, it becomes a he said, he said, and who benefits really from that? So the points are well made. I guess the only thing I think left for us to kind of, uh, unless you guys have something else to bat around is, uh, once again, we uh, want to acknowledge that this is, and Penn Live is doing some stories on National Nurses Week. So we do want to acknowledge that even with all of this opening, 
there are still people putting their lives on the line. Our doctors, our nurses especially, are dealing with still very difficult situations throughout the country. And we're going to be, it looks like, dealing with this for months to come. I don't know if any of you have any thoughts on that, but I think it's worth us also taking the time to thank our nurses and all of those professionals who are out there on the front lines. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we owe these people a debt of gratitude. Other than literally being at war, I can't think of any situation where nurses and medical people put themselves more at risk than something like this. And it's their job. They understand that when they go into it. But I'm sure I'll take a wild guess that a lot of these people never in their wildest dreams think they would be in this kind of a situation. But they are and they're there and they show up every day and they do their job and they ought to be thanked for it. They're heroes. You're, you're absolutely right. I'll tell you that one of the nurses did say in an interview that she really didn't bargain on having to basically be a sacrifice, you know, because that's what many of them have felt like they were without the equipment. Go ahead, Regette. Um, I definitely agree with everything uh, that Jeffrey said, so I don't want to repeat that. The only thing that I would add is that I hope these medical personnel are getting the help and services they need. I'm sure both of you heard of the ER doctor only in her 40s that committed suicide a couple weeks ago because yeah. it was just too much for her to handle, which is very unfortunate. So I just hope that they are also getting the type of resources and help that they need to be able to mentally deal with what they see on a daily basis as well. Yeah, mentally. And, and as I say, many of them are worried. Uh, they've been separated from their families because they're worried about not wanting to bring this back into their homes. So they, it really is a toll. But I'll tell you the final thing we'll talk about, and we've talked about a lot, because this is something I had on the head of one of the locals, the union locals, Wendell Young, who really, I mean, gave some heartbreaking information about the kind, I mean, as we talk about opening up, remember, it means that workers are going to be in these places exposing themselves to this virus. Uh, because the virus is still there. Even if the code turns to yellow or to green, it's still there. And he, he spoke in particular about seven of his local members dying because of this virus. And more than 650 have tested positive. These are workers in meat processing, food processing plants. These are workers who are cashiers. So while we open, we really do have to be cognizant of the toll it takes to keep people working. You know, and the question is, should there be more political pressure if we're talking about politics? And when are, will our two leading candidates start speaking to the protections that workers are going to need if they keep our economy going? I, I don't think there's any question that this will be discussed. I mean, before we had our conversation here today, I was I was watching the news and they were talking about employees of uh uh you know in in packaging for meat yep, and yep. and all of this and and the problems that this will cause in the supply chain and everything and I think I heard Senator Rubio from Florida say we may have to go uh, vegan for a bit but it is it is a question there's no doubt about it and we will have to be concerned about it and deal with it and I'm sure we will Although, although Rajat, from we also hear some people are willing to simply see it as a casualty of the economy. Some people will die, but we. Well, keep I, I kind of want to bring a different twist to it because 
you know, the workers, these, these businesses are going to have to put protections in because I can tell you the trial lawyers are really <laughs> sabotating right now with the possible lawsuits that could come into this. If you are forced back to work, because this also brings up when we talk about politics, a lot of these workers may not want to go back to work, but they, they don't have any choice because, again, they won't be able to receive unemployment anymore. Do they not have sick pay time, family leave to take, to stay home, to be safe? So they're being forced to go back. These are all issues that our politicians are going to have to think through and, and legislate on as we move forward. But if I'm forced back to work and I don't have the protections needed to stay safe and I would get this virus, number one is that there could be a very possible lawsuit there. I'm, I'm, you know, you see that being discussed as well. So companies that have unions, I have no doubt that the unions will definitely negotiate for their workers' protections for them. Well, that's what, it, as I was talking to him, I really did have to say, boy, you can see the value of the union right about now, whether you're pro or con unions, you can see why some of these, especially the, the lower skilled workers, really do need some strong voices protecting them now, especially as all of us want to be able to get back to life that's a little bit more normal. It will, I mean, we do have the, uh, the even people like, uh, what is it, uh, some of our governors saying it's going to come at a cost. There's going to be more people to die so that we can live. So with that, I will thank both Rajette and Jeffrey for joining us on another Battleground PA podcast. And we do look forward to seeing you next week. And as a housekeeping note, we will not be doing a podcast next Wednesday. Instead, you need to check us out on Facebook, Facebook Live. We will look to do Battleground PA at noon Wednesday on Facebook Live. Check out Penn Live's Facebook page and you'll hear us debating all of the issues in the 2020 elections. This was Battleground PA. Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an idea for an episode? Tweet us at BattlegroundPA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on penlive.com. Battleground PA is hosted by PenLive's opinion editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Penn Studios director, Salim Michelle McClouf, and edited by Martin Boutros. More info and past episodes can be found at battlegroundpa.org. Dot org.